Well, friends, if you have a Bible, please turn with me in them to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Now, uh, today we're reading not a story about the birth of Christ, but a passage that unpacks for us the importance of the birth of Christ. So in particular, our focus is not just on how the birth of Jesus happened, but why it happened. And that's important for us as Christians to understand, because Christmas is about more than just the festive joy of the holiday. It's for us, the hope and the joy and the peace of the world come to us in the Son of God. And so this morning, we're meditating on Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. If you are able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Standing is an act of worship. It shows our reverence and our desire to hear eagerly from the God who speaks to us. Galatians 4, reading verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. And would you join me as we pray once more? Father in heaven, this morning we gather. Some of us, because we're home for the holidays. Some of us, because if we're going to come to church, Christmas seems like a good time. Other of us come because we, we need to. We, we find ourselves lost desperate and weak, and we need to come to you. Others of us come with just hearts that are so full of gratitude and thanksgiving. All of us, well, we come, each one of us here for different reasons. But Holy Spirit, you know, and you discern our hearts. You know what ministry we need. And so would you be so kind that you would speak to us this morning and minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. This morning, I want to talk about the theme of timing. And in particular, I want to talk about God's timing. And so jumping straight into the gospel truth this morning, here is our meditation summed up in one simple sentence. God's, God always works according to his perfect time. A simple gospel truth summed up. God always works according to his perfect time. You know, one common debate that can really polarize people, a discussion that can divide people, maybe even people in this room, is an ancient question. It's an old question. It's the question of this. How early is too early to start listening to Christmas music? Some of you have had this debate. Some of you are like me. You like everything in its time. You like Thanksgiving to be about Thanksgiving. And once Thanksgiving passes, then we can listen to Christmas music. Others of you, as soon as the semester starts, your kids go to school, now it's time to get geared up for Christmas. But here's the thing. Even if you can escape or delay listening to Christmas music in your home, you know that as soon as you're out in public, you're out in a grocery store, you're out at the mall, you can't escape hearing all I want for Christmas is you. I mean, all of you know by now, no matter how much you try and delay it and escape it, you better watch out because, you know, Mariah Carey is coming to town and you cannot avoid her. The larger question, of course, is not simply... When is, too, when is it too early to listen to Christmas music? But how early should you start preparing for Christmas? When should the decorations go up, the trees go up, the lights go up? Well, you might find it interesting that the very first Christmas, 
the very first Christmas, when Jesus came into the world, that God actually began preparing for that Christmas really, really early. Have you ever thought about this? God started preparing for the Christmas ever since the very first book of the Bible. Because Christ's birth in history didn't just kind of sneak up on us. His birth was long awaited, long anticipated. As early as Genesis chapter 3, when you open the first book of the Bible, we see God giving a promise to the world to send a savior. And so in one sense, all of history since the garden has been one long season of God preparing for the first Christmas. We read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God give us this promise. He says, I will put an enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent here. And between your offspring and her offspring, her offspring shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what's happening here is immediately after the fall, when Adam and Eve disobey God, God promises, I'm going to send a savior into the world through the offspring of Eve. Now, he didn't explain how he was going to send this savior. He just promised that a savior would come. And after Genesis 3 ends, the rest of the Old Testament the other 65 books of the Old Testament begins unfolding God's redemption history. And all throughout the full 66 or full 39 books of the Old Testament, we see God's previews and God's prophecies and God's promises that he will send a savior. And as you read through them, it gets more and more escalated, more and more specific. The Eve of the offspring, she will come in the flesh. He will be born as an infant. You see, all throughout God's history, written and recorded in the Old Testament, the people of God were clinging onto a promise, hoping, waiting, anticipating. They come to great culmination in the prophetic books. Let me read you three very well-known passages. Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What a promise. Isaiah 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And a little bit later in the prophet Micah, we read in Micah 5, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, Bethlehem, shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Throughout the pages of scripture, God is working to fulfill a promise that he will send his savior into the world. And the people of God are patiently waiting and hoping and holding on to his promises. Can you imagine this? I mean, for those of you who really love Christmas, as soon as this season ends, you already begin looking forward to the next Christmas. And so season after season, you're waiting for winter to come. And then finally autumn arrives and now you're waiting month after month until December comes. And then December comes and you're waiting week after week until Christmas. And then the week of Christmas comes and you're waiting day after day for Christmas. Imagine the waiting of the saints in the Old Testament. They longed, they yearned, they anticipated, they hoped, they expected, but not just for days or weeks or months or years or decades or centuries, but they waited in lifetimes. They waited in generations because not a single saint in the Old Testament saw the promise of the first Christmas come to fulfillment. 
Think about that for a second. God gave these amazing promises. He would send a savior, a ruler, a king, a shepherd, a child, a son into the world. And so God's people, they waited and generations came and generations went. And they were waiting. When is this promise going to happen? But because God had not yet determined it was time. It was not the perfect time. The people had to wait. So one generation of Israelites held to the promise, God's going to send us the offspring of Eve, the savior of the world. And then that generation passed and the promise hadn't arrived. So the promise was handed to the next generation and they held on to the promise. The savior of the world is going to come. And then that generation passed and it was handed to the next generation and so on and so forth. And this is how the Old Testament is unfolding for us. And so can you imagine what it was like to wait for God's promise in this way? Because a promise came to Adam in the garden, in the garden, but it wasn't fulfilled until Mary in the gospels. We're talking thousands of years, thousands of years of waiting, thousands of years of trusting. Is God going to do what he said he's going to do? Thousands of years of wondering when is God going to do what he said he was going to do? Thousands of years of doubting, is God ever going to do what he said he was going to do? And then one day, when time was fully ripened and the perfect time arrived, God sent forth his son, Jesus, into the world. And all of this background is necessary. So when we get to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, the impact is made on us. Because Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. History here, time is sort of like a character. History, time is waiting, looking forward, looking ahead, anticipating, yearning. Like a little kid looks forward to the first snowfall in the winter. Or students look forward to the last day of school before summer begins. Or, or seniors in high school are waiting for their college admission or adults are yearning for retirement. So too, history was yearning and waiting and expecting the coming of the Son of God in the flesh. And in the fullness of time, history breathed a sigh of relief. <sighs> because finally God made good on all the previews and all the promises and all the prophecies. You see, when Paul writes, when the fullness of time has come, had come, that means that before Jesus came, that was partial. It was only partially full. It was only partially ripened. It was only partially ready, which means all the Old Testament saints until this day, they were called to wait and hope. They were called to live by faith. They were called to cling to the promise that I don't see what God is doing, but I know he's ordaining and he's orchestrating history. He's planning and preparing something that I cannot see. And in the fullness of time, God sent Christ. In fact, you need to understand this. God in his wisdom was not only planning and preparing Israel for the coming of the son. He was actually planning and preparing for the world to receive Jesus. History, the nations were like a stage and God was a set designer preparing for the entrance of Christ so that in the fullness of time, it was the perfect time. The British commentator, John Stott, writes this about the perfect time. He says, it was the time when Rome 
had conquered and subdued the known inhabited earth. When Roman roads had been built to facilitate travel and Roman legions had been stationed to guard them. It was also the time when the Greek language and culture had given a certain cohesion to society. At the same time, the old mythological gods of Greece and Rome were losing their hold on the common people so that the hearts and minds of men everywhere were hungry for a religion that was real and satisfying. Further, it was a time when the law of Moses had done its work of preparing men for Christ, holding them under its tutelage and in its prison so that they longed ardently for the freedom with which Christ can make them free. See, God's timing was operating under his wisdom and his knowledge, wisdom and knowledge that his people did not have access to. Because the reality is people like us, we only see in the present. We only know in the immediate. We only feel in the now. But God sees from a bird's eye view. And as the sovereign one over history, he sees the past and the present and the future. You see, finite humans, people like you and me, we're limited in our perspective. In our perspective, in our opinion, we only think that the perfect time is the present time. That's why we get upset or demand, why isn't this happening now? Or why is this happening now? We only know in the present. And so we think the present is the perfect time. But God, who is sovereign over all history, who sees not just what's in the back, but what's in the front, not just what's behind, but what's ahead. He works in his perfect time. So in the fullness of time, not earlier, not later, he sent Jesus into the world. He sent Jesus into the world. Why didn't he send Jesus into the world the day after Adam and Eve fell? Why didn't he send Jesus into the world at the end of the book of Genesis? Why didn't he send Jesus into the world at the time of the judges? Because God had in his wisdom, plan and understanding a fullness of time. He was preparing a time when the Roman roads allowed the gospel to travel speedily. A time when the common language allowed the gospel to be shared widely. A time when the writing technology allowed the gospel to be recorded easily. A time when the religious disillusionment allowed the gospel to be received eagerly. God knew all the variables that were hidden from his people. And so it was only in his perfect time that he made good on his ancient promise. Jesus, my friends, did not arrive a day too early or a day too late. And as we reflect on this truth, it secures and solidifies in our hearts what we need to believe. God always works according to his perfect time. I'm not sure who in this room needs to hear that this morning. But I know there are people in here who not only need to hear this, but who need to believe it. God could have sent Jesus in Genesis chapter 4. You know, Genesis chapter 4 is the story of Cain and Abel. It could have been the story of Jesus Christ coming to the world. And he could have sent Christ during the united monarchy in the time of Saul, the time of David, in the time of Solomon. He could have sent Jesus in the time of the divided monarchy and all the kings that came after. He could have sent Jesus in the time of the prophets. He could have sent Jesus during the Assyrian occupation, the Babylonian occupation, the Persian occupation. He could have sent Jesus. But he had a plan. 
plan and a schedule that nobody else had access to, and it was wise and good and perfect, which meant that God's people were called to wait. And in their waiting, they were called to recognize and trust that God's timing is better than mine. God's ways are higher than mine. God's thoughts are better than mine. Let me ask you this morning, in this season of your life, is there something you're waiting on God for? Is there something that you wish God would hurry up and expedite in your life? Maybe there's a prayer you've been praying and you're asking, God, can you get to it quicker? Maybe there's a valley you're walking through and you're thinking, Lord, could you deliver me faster? Maybe you wish you knew that God knew the dire situation you were in. Maybe you wish he knew that time was of the essence and you feel like God, because he's not showing up in your time, like he's dragging his feet. And it makes you wonder, why isn't he answering? And so you doubt, does he love me? Does he care for me? Is he really even good at all? You turn to Galatians 4 and you remember these words that it was in the fullness of time when God had set the stage in his perfect time, when he had made ready to answer his people. It was then and only then that he made good on his promise. You see, friends, God's delay in answering according to your prayers, according to what you ask him, it's not evidence. His delay is not evidence that he doesn't love you, that he's forgotten you, or that he's abandoned you. His delay is an exercise in his sovereign wisdom, saying, wait on my perfect timing. And so in this season of your life, as you wait on him for answered prayer, as you wait on him to deliver you through present circumstances, he has not forgotten you, not abandoned you, He has not lost interest in you. He is simply working everything out in his perfect time so that even his delays are intentional and purposeful. So we're called to wait and to trust and to hope and to hold on to him. But why? How? See, because the call to trust in God is not without grounds. Why are you called to trust in God? Well, friends, it's because he is trustworthy. His timing is trustworthy because when God showed up on that first Christmas, he came with a gift. We read it in verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. God showed up on that first Christmas with the greatest gift that he could ever offer. And the greatest gift you and I could receive because God showed up and gave to you and to me the gift of his son. His son. And the creator and sustainer of the world entered into the created reality. He was born of woman, born under the law. Have you ever thought, why did God choose to take on human flesh and frailty? Why did he condescend himself to creaturely limitations? Why did he humble himself to the estate of a lowly child? Why was the eternal one born and the king subject to the law? Why would Jesus choose to take on flesh and be born among us? And we read in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. The ultimate reason, friends, you can trust God is for you and not against you is because God saw your great need. 
And he sent his son to be the answer that you could not come up with. God saw your great need and he gave you the solution you didn't deserve. What is a good gift? A good gift is a gift that meets your needs. I mean, think about it in this Christmas season. I hope most of you have finished your Christmas shopping by now. But when you're shopping for people, there are always particular people that are notoriously difficult to shop for. We know who they are. Don't say their names aloud. And you're thinking about what do they need? What do they want? And, and you're thinking, oh, is there, was there an occasion where they, they said they needed something? I'm trying to remember. You're trying to think about their lives. Oh, what could really help them out? You know, the best gifts that we receive are gifts that meet needs we have. It's getting really cold. Oh, I need a winter coat and you get one. That's great. This morning, I need to get out of the house. I haven't had time for coffee. What do I need? Oh, I need a tumbler. My golf game has been in shots. I need new golf clubs. Cornerstone, I need new golf clubs. No, I'm just kidding. I need a miracle. See, we begin asking the question, what do we need? A good gift is a gift that meets our needs. What are bad gifts? Bad gifts are gifts that meet no needs. The worst gifts I've ever received are all from white elephant gift exchanges. I love them. They're fun to do, but they're so impractical because you walk away often with things you will never use. And so they sit in the closet. Maybe they'll be re-gifted. Maybe they'll show up at next year's white elephant. I don't know. A good gift is a gift that meets a need. God shows up on the first Christmas, and what does he give us? A good gift. He gives us the gift of his son to redeem us from the law because he knew the need that we weren't yet aware of. He knew we were under the law. He knew that in our sin, we could never obey the law. We were imprisoned to the law. We were incapable to fulfill the law. And as a result, you and I were doomed to deal with the punishment and the consequence of our failure and disobedience against God's law. We are called to be holy. We're called to be righteous as God is, but we fall short again and again and again, despite our greatest and best efforts. And so what do we need? We need saving, we need redeeming, we need rescuing. And so what did God do? He sent forth his son into the world to redeem us. To redeem us at the cost of his life. What was that redemption price? What was the sticker price? It was not a sale item. We read earlier in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Think about that, friends. God, in order to meet your needs, sent his son to be born in order that he might die. That he might be cursed for our sins. Why should we trust God? Why should we trust his timing? Do you know how much he loves you? Cares for you? Considers you? That while you were a sinner, he sent Jesus into this broken and fallen world, born a helpless babe in order to suffer and to die in your place. That in order to meet your need, he sent Christ into a cradle so that his life would end on a cross, taken on the tree of crucifixion so that you and I might be spared. 
If God gave to us his one and only son, why would he then have no consideration or no care or no concern for our lives? Dear friends, God loves you more than you can imagine, more than you can understand. In fact, his love for us is so great, he takes us beyond atonement, he takes us to adoption. Because Paul continues in verse 5, if you read it fully, he says, Christ came to the world, why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus Christ was born and forsaken on the cross. God gave up his perfect son in order to make you a son into his family. God cursed his son so that you might receive the privileges of being counted as God's own. Now I'll close with this. Two days ago, I was on my phone just scrolling through social media when a video came up. It was a video of a family gathered around a Christmas tree. In the morning, they were opening their gifts. And there's a boy in the middle, and he opens a box and it has two things in it. One is a framed photo of a family, and the other is a note. And he begins reading the note aloud. And this is what he begins reading. He says, the note says, Carter, here is the most recent photo of our family. All of us would love for you to be in the next picture and for you to be a part of our family. Carter, would you like to be a Kippert and be our son and brother? And it's powerful the moment the boy understands what he's reading. And as he's beginning to sob, you hear the voice of the father saying, we're going to adopt you, Carter. To which the boy breaks down in tears and can only sob in response, saying, thank you so much. It's an incredibly moving video. Because the reality is this, can you receive a greater Christmas present than this? Being welcomed into a family. And yet this is God's gift to us. He offers us forgiveness in his son, he offers us a family to belong to. You see, God is not the father because he redeems us. He's the father because he adopts us. And for those who rejoice in Christ and receive Christ, you can know more than just the forgiveness of God, but the joy of being in the family of God. And God is his loving father then who works out your life, works everything according to a perfect timing. Because he sent his son into the sin-cursed world so that you might be delivered from it. Christ was born so that you would be brought into his family. Christ was crucified so you could be called children of God. And so may we learn the sweet surrender of giving up what we insist as the perfect time to trust that what God has for us is the perfect time. As we remember Christ come to us in the fullness of time, we look then to our God who works everything in your life in his perfect time. Please pray with me.